I want to begin by going to Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 10 for an opening text. Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. If you remember here, beginning at verse 1, we have where the devil or the tempter comes to the Messiah and he begins to offer him these certain particular things. He begins to tempt the Messiah. And in verse 8, one of the temptations, it states, Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And I'm reading out of the King James Version. Verse 10. Then saith Yeshua unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship Yahweh thy God. And him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered or served him. Here in Matthew 4, verse 10, we have our Messiah quoting a passage from the Scriptures from the Old Testament, or the Tanakh. He says, Get away from me, you tempter. Get away from me, Satan, adversary. He said, For it is written, Thou shalt worship only and serve only. Yahweh. In other words, he was saying, listen, Satan, he said, I'm not going to bow down to you. I'm not going to worship you. The scriptures tell me that I'm to worship Yahweh, that he is to be my sole God. He is to be the one that I serve with all of my heart. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. I believe that this is a passage, if not the passage, that Yeshua had in mind in Matthew 4, verse 10. I believe that this is what he was talking about. Deuteronomy 6, verse 13, it says, Thou shalt fear Yahweh thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. You shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. For Yahweh thy God is a jealous God among you lest the anger of Yahweh thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. And then it goes on and talks about tempting Yahweh. If you go back up to verse 12, it says, Then beware lest thou forget Yahweh which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. I believe that this was a passage that was in the Messiah's mind when he told Satan in Matthew 4, Listen, I know you want me to bow down to you, but it's written in the Scriptures that I'm only supposed to worship or to serve or i.e. to bow down to Yahweh, my mighty one, Yahweh, my Elohim. The question that I want to ask in this message, and it will probably go into the next Sabbath as well, is if we are to worship Yahweh, then what about the Son of Yahweh? What about Yeshua the Messiah? Should we worship Him? What kind of worship should we give to Christ? One of the reasons that people believe that the Son of the Father is in actuality the Father or Yahweh Himself is because He receives worship in the New Testament. And you know what? There's no need to argue with that. We can find clear scriptures in the New Testament where He does receive worship. And therefore, what they conclude is, is that if He receives worship and we're only supposed to worship Yahweh, then He must, in fact, somehow, some way, even if we can't explain it. He must be Yahweh. And so that's pretty much how the argument goes. 
Okay? Look at Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. Verse 11. Observe thou that which I command thee this day. Behold, I drive out before thee the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other god. For Yahweh, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go a-whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods, and one call thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice. And thou take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go a-whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go a-whoring after their gods. Thou shalt make thee no molten gods. Here Yahweh speaking to his people Israel. Psalm 147 tells us that he gave Israel the law, that he hath not dealt so with any other nation. As for his statutes, they have not known them. As I mentioned a couple of messages ago, we need to never forget how that there were multitudes, millions of other people in the world. I mean, you had you just mentioned them here in verse 11, some of them Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. And Yahweh's never, ever referred to as the God of any of these people. He's referred to as the God of Israel over and over and over and over again in the Scriptures. He's called the God of the whole earth one time, meaning that He is the creator of all the things in the earth, everything that dwells therein. And so He's rightfully called that. But here in this passage, Yahweh's telling these Israelites, His people, He's saying, listen, don't worship the other gods of the people. Don't worship the gods of the Ammonites or the Moabites. Don't worship gods like we might be familiar with in the Scriptures like Baal or Baal or like Dagon. You know, these other gods that, by the way, they have proper names so that they can be distinguished from one another, you know, Baal and Dagon. And so, therefore, our God, the God of Israel, he has a proper name so that he can be distinguished from the false gods. But here it says in verse 14 that Israel is not to worship any other god. Then it says, for Yahweh, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. And so, once again, what... Or how does this figure in with the worship of Yeshua in the New Testament? How does this figure in? When we think about the word worship in our modern vernacular or in English like we speak today, we usually think of worship only going to deity. When you say or ask somebody, where do you worship? What you're asking them is where do you attend church or where do you assemble yourself with other people to worship a higher being, to worship a heavenly being. That's what we mean. Or when I say I worship Yahweh, you automatically think that I, I serve Him. Or maybe you might think of praise and worship, singing songs. And although that is a type or a form of worship, that's definitely not where worship is cut off. Definitely not at all. There's much more entailed to worship than just singing songs to Yahweh. But the Hebrew concept of worship is much dif different than our English concept of worship. Much different. Now, it might surprise you that there were other people, human beings, worshipped in sacred Scripture. Now that might come as a shock to you, and you might think that that contradicts Exodus chapter 34, where Yahweh says, you shall worship no other god. And by implication, that would obviously extend to worshipping any person. Okay? But yet, in the Hebraic Scriptures, in the Hebrew 
Tanakh, we find that people or human beings were worshipped. Now you may say, well, how are they worshipped, Brother Matthew? Well, that's what we want to take a look at. The Hebrew word for worship is the word shakah. Everybody say that word, shakah. We'll learn a little Hebrew here in this, this sermon. The word literally has to do and mean depress, to depress or to prostrate in homage to royalty or to God. Now that is the direct definition given by James Strong in the Hebrew Chaldee lexicon of Strong's Concordance. To depress or to prostrate in homage to royalty or to God. James Strong defines it like that. Now why does James Strong define the word shakah, which is generally translated into English as worship, why does he define it like that? Well, I have to believe that it's because he himself has looked at the uses of that Hebrew word in the Hebrew Scriptures and he saw how that word doesn't only have application to Yahweh, but it also has application to royalty, kings, mighty men. <clears throat> it is generally up to the translators to decide on how to translate the word shakath. When you're reading the King James Bible, you're not always going to get the gist of what the actual Hebrew text says. For instance, the word shakah is sometimes translated in English as to do obeisance. And if you're reading the King James Bible and you come across a passage where it says that a group of men did obeisance to King David, you think, okay, that's fine. But you're not recognizing that the Hebrew word there is the exact same Hebrew word that is translated worship in reference to Yahweh. It's just that the translators translated it do obeisance or pay homage or bow down instead of worship. And why do they do that? I think it's for a pretty good reason. Because they want to distinguish the worship that goes to Yahweh by himself and the worship or homage that goes to men of high rank like King David, King Solomon, or mighty men in the Hebrew Scriptures. I think that's a pretty good distinction that most translations have made. Okay, When we look back at Deuteronomy 6 and Exodus 34, the two passages that I kind of opened up with in the Old Testament, we see that contextually both of them are talking about Yahweh worship in distinction from the worship of false gods. When Yahweh tells Israel not to worship any other god except Yahweh, He's telling them in context of the god of the Canaanites, the God of the Amorites, the God of the Perizzites, the God of the Jebusites. In other words, you don't worship these gods. You worship the one God. Okay? That's the context of Deuteronomy 6 and Exodus 34. Exodus 34 and Deuteronomy 6 is not ruling out shakahing or worshiping or paying homage to an Israelite king or to an Israelite man. <clears throat> I want to go to a few scriptures just to show you this so that you don't have to take my word for it. Look at Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19, verse 1. And once again, I'm reading out of the King James Bible. If you have another version, it may be good because it may translate a little bit differently and just show some more insight. Genesis 19, 1. And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. 
And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and you shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. You see the word, the King James, where it says, He bowed himself? That's the same identical word in Exodus 34 where it's talking about worshiping Yahweh. Lot here bowed himself or worshipped these two angels. He paid homage or obeisance or reverence to them. Look at Genesis chapter 23. Genesis chapter 23, verse 7. Here where Abraham was trying to obtain some burial ground for his wife Sarah after she had died. He states in verse 7, or the text states in verse 7, And Abraham stood up, and bowed himself to the people of the land, even to the children of Heth. Once again, the word bowed himself there is the word shakah. It's the word worship in Hebrew. Here, Abraham worships, quote-unquote, Hethites. Now, he's definitely not worshiping them as Yahweh, is he? No. He's not thinking that they're Yahweh at all. He's simply paying them obeisance. He's trying and making an attempt to buy some burial plots or a burial plot for his wife and for his his family. Okay? Look at Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18, verse 7. Exodus 18, verse 7. The Bible says, And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and did obeisance and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare, and they came into the tent. The word where it says did obeisance is the word shakah. My Bible has a footnote and in the in the uh, margin it says he bowed down himself. He did obeisance. He paid homage to his father-in-law. He gave him a kiss of charity, a holy kiss as I've taught about before. And he welcomed him in. We could say that in English you could legitimately translate it that he worshipped. He did worship to his father-in-law. Not as Yahweh but as reverence given to his superior, to his authority. Look at Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. There are literally dozens and dozens of these. I'm not going to go through all of them, but just want to give you a few uh, very good ones in, in my opinion. Ruth chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. It says, Then she fell on her face... And bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. Here Ruth shakaz down to Boaz. She pays obeisance or bows herself down to Boaz and it is the Hebrew word shakah. <clears throat> and also look at 1 Samuel chapter 24. This will be the last one that we look at. 1 Samuel chapter 24 verse 8. 1 Samuel 24 verse 8. The Bible says, David also arose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, and he said, My lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, 
David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. Same identical word. Shekah. Here David calls after Saul, the king of Israel. Saul turns around and David pays obeisance to the king of Israel. It's the Hebrew word Shekah, and we know that David doesn't think that Saul is Yahweh. But yet it's the exact same Hebrew word that's used in reference to Yahweh being worshipped. Okay? What we need to get in our minds as we turn to Exodus chapter um, 14 is something that Brother Dan actually read in the reading of the Torah. We need to get in our minds that Yahweh's representatives, Yahweh's delegates, Yahweh's men that he chooses on earth, even the prophets, not even in reference here to Yahweh's begotten son, but I'm just talking about Yahweh's prophets and apostles, are worthy of obeisance, are worthy to be bowed down to. Now you may think, well, that seems ridiculous. And in the modern English mind, it does. But in the Hebrew mind, it is very customary to pay obeisance and to believe in the prophets that Yahweh has ordained and given authority to. I was involved in a written debate with a Roman Catholic uh, apologist or debater. And one of the scriptures that I would use to show that there was a difference between Yahweh and his son was John 14, verse 1. Out of many hundreds of scriptures. But John 14, verse 1, Yeshua says, Let not your hearts be troubled, he tells his disciples. He says, If you believe in God, believe also in me. That's very simple, very straightforward. And we find scriptures like this almost on every page of the New Testament. And so it just becomes undeniable. Yeshua tells the disciples, listen, if you believe in God, you believe in Yahweh, then believe also in me. Well, the Roman Catholic man told me, they said, well, why would we have to believe in Christ if he's not God? And I responded by saying, don't you think that if the Father of heaven and earth bears a son and begats him through a virgin womb, and gives him all authority in heaven and in earth that you ought to believe in him? Why, certainly. But not only are we called to believe in Yeshua. I want you to notice what Brother Dan read in Exodus chapter 15. Or, excuse me, Exodus chapter 14. Verse 30. It says, Thus Yahweh saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which Yahweh did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared Yahweh and believed Yahweh and his servant Moses. See, not only did they believe Yahweh, but they also believed Yahweh's servant, Moses or Moshe. Why? Because he was Yahweh's representative. He was Yahweh's prophet. Moses even said in Deuteronomy 18 that Yahweh would raise up a prophet like unto him. From among the brethren. In other words, he would be an Israelite, a human being. And this is talking about Christ. Read Acts chapter 3 where Peter talks about it and Acts chapter 7 where Stephen talks about it. And prophet Moses says that if we do not believe the words that come out of that prophet's mouth, which once again that prophet is Christ, is the Messiah, that we will be destroyed. We will be destroyed. And this is why I often tell people, listen, before you go to the writings of John or Peter or Paul, those writings are great. But before you go to those writings, you need to get the writings and the teachings of, of Christ down. You need to understand what he taught. I mean, you know, if the Messiah didn't teach that the law was done away with, then you can, you can bet your bottom dollar that Paul or Peter didn't. Definitely didn't. And so it's so important that we not only believe in Yahweh, but believe in his servants in those that he delegates authority to. 
Now, when it comes to the Messiah, we're not just dealing with a servant or just a prophet, although he is a prophet. The Bible calls him a prophet, Deuteronomy 18, Acts 3. The Bible calls him the apostle and the high priest of our confession in Hebrews. So he's an apostle and he's a high priest. But he's also the only begotten son of Yahweh. Okay? And I believe that he holds the position second only to Yahweh in the entire universe. Yahweh's even delegated him authority to judge all the dead that will rise in the last day. He's delegated him authority to do other things as well, to forgive sins and things like this. And so we are also to believe in him, and the Bible does teach that we should also give him worship. Not the worship that Yahweh deserves, but the worship that he deserves. Similar, yet not the same, but similar to how Lot bowed down or worshipped the two angels. Not as Yahweh, but for who they were. Now, I'll get to that here in just a second. But before I move on, I want to go to First Chronicles chapter 29. I want to just continue to show this in this one other scripture that I think is very potent, a very powerful scripture. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 20. First Chronicles 29, verse 20. The Bible says, And David said to all the congregation, speaking to the Israelites, he says, Now bless Yahweh your God. And all the congregation blessed Yahweh, God of their fathers, and bowed down their heads and worshipped Yahweh and the king. I want you to listen to that again. And all the congregation blessed Yahweh, God of their fathers, and bowed down their heads and worshipped Yahweh and the king. Now here we have in the exact same prostration, in the exact same bowing down, people worshiping Yahweh and at the same time worshiping the king or making obeisance to the king. Now I guarantee you that the people of Israel were not bowing down to the king and worshiping the king as Yahweh. I guarantee you that. When they bowed down and worshiped the king, it was for who he was and for who Yahweh had made him in Israel. When they bowed down and worshipped Yahweh, it was for who he was as the creator and as the sustainer of the universe. And this is where I believe, one of the reasons I believe that this subject is so important. I believe it's of utmost importance. I think that if we miss who God is and who his son is, that it doesn't matter what else we get right. John seventeen three, like I quoted at the beginning. One of the reasons this subject is so important is that there are people that worship Christ as the creator. There's people that give him honor as the father. You know, you don't believe it. You just need to ask some, some people like some Trinitarians or some oneness people or anything like this. They don't give him honor as the son. They give him honor as the father or as the creator. Okay? And when Yeshua was here on earth, he never went around talking about how he created everything. As a matter of fact, when he was talking about marriage and divorce in Matthew 19, he said, have you not read that he which made them in the beginning made them male and female? He didn't say, I which made them. He said, he. Speaking of Yahweh, his father. In Hebrews chapter 4, it talks about how that God rested on the seventh day. God is distinguished from his son in the book of Hebrews time and time again. It wasn't the son that rested on the seventh day in Genesis. It was the father. Isaiah 44:24 says that Yahweh created the heavens and the earth by Himself. The New Revised Standard Version says no one was with Him. And so it becomes dangerous when we give honor to the Son as the Creator and we worship the Son as the Creator 
Just like it would be dangerous for us to worship King David, the king of Israel, as Yahweh. Or even if we were to pay the same homage to David as we would to the Messiah. Because as I said before, we are required, and I believe even commanded, to worship the Son of Yahweh. But we worship Him as the Son, not as the Father. That is, we do obeisance to Him as the one whom Yahweh has appointed, and not as Yahweh Himself. Okay? Look at Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to get more into this in next week's message. But I want to just kind of uh, sneak myself in here and give myself an opening for next week. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. And straightway Yeshua constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Yeshua went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Yeshua spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Yeshua. What a sight. Imagine if you were in that boat that night. And you see the Messiah coming and he's walking on the water, man. And you say, man, this has got to be a ghost here. This is a spirit. And Peter cries out and he says, Lord, if it's really you, let me come unto you. He says, come unto me, Peter. Look at me. And then all of a sudden you see Peter go out and Peter starts walking on the water. I mean, imagine the sight. It would be amazing to be there. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he, he cried saying, Lord, save me. And so once he got afraid and the fear got a hold to him, he couldn't walk anymore. He began to sink. And immediately Yeshua stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? You know, what a sentence to say to Peter. You know, here he is a man walking on the water, I mean, just defying the laws of nature that Yahweh has created. It's a miracle, you know. Yahweh can defy his, his, his laws. He can perform miracles, you know. And, and, then, and Yeshua just looks at him and he says, Why did you doubt, you know? Can't you just believe if you just trust me, you can walk on water too? I mean, that's very powerful. Verse 32, And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Now I want you to notice how they worshipped him. They didn't say, Of a truth, you're God Almighty. Of a truth, we believe that you created the heavens and the earth. No, they said, of a truth, thou really art the Son of God. See, brethren, Yahweh really has a son. He really did about 2,000 years ago begot a child. He's a very unique man. Unlike any other man that's ever lived or ever will live. He was virgin conceived and virgin born. He was sinless. He not once transgressed a law of the Heavenly Father. He paid a sacrificial atonement on the cross for our sins. He died, was buried, 
He resurrected on the third day. And then after 40 days, He ascended up into heaven where He's at right now at the right hand of God the Father. He intercedes on our behalf when we cry out to Yahweh through Him. He's our mediator. And we need to, just like those disciples who were in the boat, worship Him and say, Of a truth, Thou art the Son of God. He deserves to be paid obeisance to and worshipped in that manner. And as long as we keep it in that manner, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it at all. Okay? And so I just want to close out with that. I'm going to get into this more in the next Sabbath service and wrap it up in the next message. But just keep in mind, as you go home and you study out some of these scriptures that I've shared with you and research it out like a good Berean, like I always try to tell people to do, just keep in mind that we cannot allow our English concepts to override the Hebraic concepts or the Israelite concepts of the Scriptures. You know, it's just like when I taught on the, the word God before in the, in the Scriptures. We don't call people God, you know, in America. We don't refer to people like that. But in the Bible, there were many men that were referred to as God or Elohim. And so we need to make sure that we read the Scriptures with a Hebrew or Israelite understanding and not with a modern 21st century American uh, or Georgian understanding. Amen? Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we love You and we thank You. Father, we, we worship You, Father Yahweh, for who You are, Father. And we thank You, Father, that You've been so kind to us, Father Yahweh. You brought us here to another Sabbath service. Father Yahweh, I pray that You would... Uh, be with us all as we leave this building, Father Yahweh. And Father, let us not just go and live any way that we want to, but let us die to this flesh daily, every day this week. Let us put aside the deeds of the flesh and walk after the Spirit. Father Yahweh, that we might be pleasing to You, Father. I pray that You'd put somebody in our path to witness to, Father. Let us not be afraid or scared to witness to them. Father, let, let us not be ashamed of Your commandments or of Your law. Father, of who we are or of who you are, Father Yahweh, but let us boldly proclaim your truths. Father Yahweh, we thank you for your Son, Father Yahweh, and we pay homage and we worship him, Father Yahweh, for who he is, Father. As he even said in the book of John, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. So Yahweh, Father, we thank you and we praise you and we give you glory and we give you thanks. And uh, Father Yahweh, just bless us all, Father Yahweh. We pray for those that may not be here, Father Yahweh, for... for uh, Whatever reason, Father, if they're sick in their body, Yahweh, Father, or if they're sick in their spiritual man, Father, if they're on a journey or traveling or what have you, Father, we just pray that you'd be with all the people, Father, Yahweh, that are not here right now. And, Father, Yahweh, just give them a special touch and blessing wherever they might be. And, Yahweh, Father, let them know that we love them with all of our heart. Father, thank you for giving us a good meeting today, a good service. Thank you for all the brothers. Thank you for all the sisters. Thank you for all the children. Father, thank you for amazing cadence and song, Father, that they sing. Father, we thank you so much and we praise you. In Messiah we pray. Amen.